Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm in my early 20s and man has it been full of shit shows. <laughs> it's been great. It's been career changes, industry changes, pivots, highs, lows, crying, happy, everything in between and it's been great and I just really wanted to create the show to hopefully share with you guys that we all go through the craziness of our 20s. We all go through these shit show moments and we all grow through them. And I hope that you're able to see yourself in some of these stories. And if any of these episodes resonate with you, I would love for you to share it with a friend as well as leave me a review on iTunes. It really helps. And if you want to connect with me, my Instagram's the shit show in my 20s. And yeah, without further ado, let's get going. Today's guest is Brendan. I love chatting with him. Brendan is the founder of Master Talk. He coaches ambitious executives and entrepreneurs to become top 1% communicators in their industry. He also has a popular YouTube channel called Master Talk with a goal of providing free access to communication tools for everyone in the world. We go into so many incredible things in this interview from why he decided to start Master Talks how he made the leap and left his corporate job. What is a winner in your life? And really identifying the winners and the relationships to go all in, in, as well as do we need to delete some of the relationships in our life? And so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Brendan, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. So I'd love to start. Are you in your 20s right now? Or are you I am. 20s? I'm 26. 26. Okay, good. So tell me about the shit show of your 20s so far, okay? <laughs> Any moments you think we might resonate with, do it laugh with? Let's start there. I mean, there's a ton. I mean, we could spend the whole pod talking about But I would say the couple of shit shows. I mean, the first one was quitting my job. That was a tough one because my whole life was predicated on on getting a corporate job and being successful in the corporate world, which is what I did from like 22 to like 24. Most, I mean, most of us in university just want to make money and enjoy life. But quitting my job to do what I'm doing now full time was really, really tough, Sophia. And the reason was because I'm the only breadwinner in my house. So I live with my sister and my mom. So, so when I quit, it was like, oh shit, like I'm going from like 70K a year to like 30K a year. <laughs> so I gotta I gotta figure that out. So that that was a shit show. Luckily I figured it out. That's one. The YouTube channel was a shit show too. Like the first time I started posting videos, it was literally my mom's base where I'm still live by the way. It's like I started on that couch over there. And people told me I was really crazy, especially my mom and everyone else around me. They're like, What are you doing? Like you're working this corporate job and you're making videos in your mom's basement. Doesn't make any sense. That was a shit show. What else is a shit show? I mean, those are two big ones. Third one, I, I don't know how, how vulnerable you guys get usually in this pod. I mean, my dad died a few years. Okay, gotcha. So my, my dad died too. So that was that was really crazy. So I had to figure that out. Uh, he was an alcoholic most of his life. So we kind of had to manage that crisis as well three years ago. So th- those are probably the three main shit shows I've been to. Oh, yeah. And I fell in love with this girl and she didn't like me. So that was that was pretty shitty too. <laughs> add that one at the end i think we have at least one of those stories if we're lucky hopefully we have none but we have at least five but it's okay (laughs) (laughs) there you go that's that's i think the list (laughs) exactly 
Awesome. And I'm kind of curious, like, what led up to that? Because I know always, like, when you're about to quit your job, usually there's a series of events. You don't usually intend to quit your job. You usually intend to stay there. So I'm kind of curious, what was that, like, unraveling process for you of, like, I really need to leave, even though this is comfortable, you know, this is what I thought I wanted. It's really time for me. Absolutely, Sophia. So, so let's start from the beginning. So when I was when I was 19, I went to business school in Montreal. And and like I said, the goal is never to be like an entrepreneur or anything. The goal is just to, you know, get a corporate job and be, be good with life. Well, while most people are focused on enjoying life, I was just focused on getting out of poverty. You know, my parents worked in, in factories. So I was like, yeah, let's, uh, let's probably retire them so they, they're not suffering too much. So, so I went to business school at 19. And I started doing these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So all the guys my age were like playing rugby or football or baseball or whatever the guys are into these days. I, I'm not really one of those types of people. So I was really competitive in the nerdland version of sports, which was presentations. And that's why I got really good at speaking. But then as I got older, I started coaching other students who are younger than me, mostly for free, to kind of help them speak better at these weird competitions too. And that's when the idea for Master Talk came because I realized that as I was I was coaching these kiddos, I was a kid too, obviously, I, I realized that you know everything I was sharing wasn't available for free. So basically, what happened was as I got my dream job in corporate, I worked at IBM for two, three years. I was making videos on the side, mostly just for fun. So it wasn't like this business or anything. I was just making videos every week. But then, how it later turned into the question that you're asking was a, a few years later. I realized that you know one, it was possible for me to quit my job. I didn't even know that was a possibility. And two, my corporate job got really hard. I'm, I'm not the type of person who's going to say like, oh, I hated my. Job. Job. That's not the case for me. I actually really enjoyed it, but it just got really hard to balance both both the job and the YouTube channel and the business because I started coaching a bunch of executives. They just started calling me, and I was like, "Shit, okay, they want this kid to coach them." And then the the third piece to that, Sophia, without rambling too much, is the last piece was I, I realized something that many of us don't really get in our twenties is we don't realize that we are billionaires. And what I mean by that is that we're billionaires of time, right? In the sense that time is so much more valuable than money, but we don't realize that when we're young because we don't have a lot of money. So when I realized that time is really short because we're all going to die in like 60, 70 years, hopefully we live longer. So when I realized, I was like, what the hell am I doing in corporate? Like I should be spending all these hours to build something that that's actually going to help people. So hopefully that, that gives you like the full answer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so true because I don't think we realize how much time we have in our 20s. Like we have so much time. I'm wondering for you, like I feel like going into communication, going into public speaking, like it's so important. Like even if you don't ever speak on a stage, like it's going to be a huge part of your life in corporate, like wherever you choose to go, you need it. What was like the moment for you of like, first, I'm really good at this. Like I can really like make this into a business. And then second of all, like what kind of made it click for you of like, even if I don't use this on stage or anything, like this is still like a foundational tool that I need. Yeah. I mean, I, w I wish I could give you the perfect answer, but the truth is, is that since this is more of a vulnerable pod, I mean, the first time I did communication, I had nothing to do with, oh, here are the three key benefits to communication. Obviously, I, I talk that way now because it helps me sell product. But when I was in university, that wasn't the case. I was just really competitive. Think of me like the Michael Jordan that nobody gives a shit about in the sense of like when Michael Jordan was in, uh, what is it, that, that Netflix documentary, right? The Last Dance. He was like this crazy person who would like ravage his teammates and tell them to win. And I'm not really a big sports guy, but but I like that documentary.
coach because it was cool to like understand his mindset. I was very similar in university with the people I was coaching. I was like a tyrant, but because I love winning, but nobody cares because it's presentations, right? So I'm kind of like this world that that's secluded from the rest of society. So so that's actually why I got really good at communication. It started with trying to get a job because most people who do these competitions they get placed in companies really quickly, and that was kind of my ticket in into that wealth, the the top ten percent of whatever. But what happened was it tur- it turned into this unhealthy obsession because I just really wanted to win, and I accidentally got really good at communication because it was a byproduct of me winning these competitions. I needed to be great. But after that, so it's kind of three parts. Though. That's the first part. The second part was a lot of the students were entering. Kind of when you get older, you start becoming kind of the wise old man for like the people who are getting started. That was kind of me, even if I was like 20, 20 or something. So so for the 18, 19 year olds, I was the only kind of communication person and we didn't really have a coach. So I said, okay. Uh, and I wasn't one, by the way. So I was like, okay, how do I take all of these skills that I learned as a speaker and then coach it back to people who are two years younger than me? And it was a shit show. I mean, like I had no idea what I was doing. I, I never had my own coach. I was kind of just going, and sometimes I went too far. They started crying. Sometimes it was like, it wasn't effective enough. So I made like a shit ton of mistakes. And, and then I kind of figured out my flow. And then the third piece, which is the question you asked, which how, what happened to the business? That was 100% an accident. So I started the channel in January 2019. The main reason was I wanted something interesting to do because I was retiring from case competition land and I had nothing more interesting to do outside of corporate. But the other piece was nine months into Master Talk. This is probably like September of 2019. I went to this event called Summit of Greatness. It's hosted by this podcaster named Lewis Howes. I go every year. You do? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Okay, that means I'll see you this year. That's yeah. awesome. Okay, awesome. Okay, so so Summit changed my life. I, I, I've always been a fan of Lewis's pod. I've been listening to him since I was like 20. And that was the first year. 2019 was the first year I could afford Summit. Even if it's not expensive, it's like 300 bucks. But I, that's how broke I was. So I took a flight to, to Columbus of all places. And, and I landed there and I realized a few things, Sophia. The first one, the first thing I realized was everyone thought my idea was great, but they also couldn't afford a speech coach. So they all said like, oh, like, uh, this is all great. I love communication. I can't afford a coach though, but I need this. And I was like, okay, so people need the information. But I met my business partner there at a 5 a.m. workout. So you probably know this at Summit every morning, there's like workouts. So I went I went to the Steve Weatherford one, who's like an NFL guy. And and I went to that workout and the guy next to me was a guy named Vamsi Polymetla. And he was in the coaching business for seven years. And, and he looked at me and he was like, what do you do? And I said, oh, I make YouTube videos on communication. He's like, okay, why do you make YouTube videos on communication? You don't look like some who could teach communication and i was explaining to him like the case competition thing and i went off and we got on a call after summit was over and he said you know you could charge thousands of dollars for executives for coaching right and i was like what do you mean I, i'm a kid no one's gonna hire me to pay me whatever the fee is and he just said i'll write you your first check and that's how i got started so he's the one summit was actually the big reason why i was able to exit corporate because i met him and then we start we built the business together he's double my age though a lot more wiser but anyways long story short sophia that's how i turned into a business was he he taught me the customer that was the tech executive who's willing to pay for that result because it gets them their next promotion. That's how I exited corporate. Wow. That's so, there's so many things I want to go into because like that's- We got time. (laughs) Yeah, we have so much time. That was funny. But like, I kind of want to go back because like you came from, you know, very humble beginnings. You didn't necessarily know this could be a company, this could be a business, this could be your future. I'm kind of wondering what work did you do on your mindset at the beginning around money, around abundance, around like all these opportunities are available to me. It's just how do I want to unlock them? I want to know like what was kind of that 
that beginning of that and like how you were able to say just because I came from this place doesn't mean I'm stuck here. Beautiful. I love that question. You know, I always feel I almost feel like interviewing you. I'm kind of curious what your thoughts on this too. But I would say for me, the biggest thing with mindset, you know, there's a lot of things you can talk about. But I would say that the the one that that hits people the most that that has helped me a lot. It goes back to Tony Robbins's quote, right? The quality of your life is solely determined by the quality of the questions that you ask yourself. And the only thing I would ask, I would add on top of that is that you dare to ask yourself because most people don't do that. So so one thing that I feel has made me, I guess, efficient is probably the best word in my personal growth. Like most people wait until they're, I mean, you're fairly young too, so you figured it out too. But like, you know, you're 20, oh, you're 21. Wow. I thought, okay, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, so that's the thing, right? Most people waited to like their midlife crisis, right? In like their mid forties to figure this shit out. Whereas me, it was like, okay, let me just wake up every day and ask myself a hard question about life. So I call these, I, I kind of reflect, kind of like with, with communication, right? Reverse engineered communication. I'm doing that with like life too, even if that's not going to be the focus of my life. So, so I'll share those with you, which I call 80, 20 questions. So we all know like 80, 20, what's the 20% that gets you 80% of the, the results. So I asked myself a different question, which is what is the 20% of the questions that gives 80% of one's clarity to life? So those that's kind of my version of that. So here's a couple of these questions. So the first one is, if you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? So if you have all the money in the world, if you had a billion dollars today, what would you do with your time? And most people, Sophia, answer with, uh, like, travel. And then I push them. I go, okay, so you go, what, are you going to do travel for seven years and then die? And they go, no. And I was like, okay, so what do you do after? Most people don't reflect on that question. Second question. If you're 99 years old on your deathbed and you had an opportunity to come back to today and right now, what would you do right now and why? I got that from Yes Theory. I thought that was a really good question because it really gets you grounded. And then another question that I really like, and this helps us focus, is if you could only accomplish three things in your life before you die, what would you want those three things to be? So this helps people who are multi-focused, who kind of have like 15, 20 ideas spinning in their heads, like all of us do, and go like, okay, if I could only accomplish three things. So anyways, the, the point here, Sophia, is when we start to ask these questions, that's what really helps us. And then the other piece to that is starting with the end game, like writing your own funeral speech, going through all of those moments in your life and realizing that time is the most valuable asset. And this is the last piece I'll end the question on, which is people don't understand who the real end enemy is, Sophia. You know, people think the enemy is like the guy who cuts us off in traffic or the person who's really annoying. Whereas the truth is, the real enemy is not our moms. It's time. Because regardless of who you are and how you react, time continues to tick away. And once you realize that, you realize the only thing you're fighting against at the end of the day is time. So you got to optimize that resource as effectively as possible. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, if you didn't go to Summit and didn't run into your business partner, do you still think you would have started your business? Or do you think it would have had, like, a more rocky start? Or what do you think about that? <sighs> That's a great what if. I would say I'd, I'd still probably be in corporate. I, cor like, Mastruck would still exist. But I, I don't think I would have made enough money to, like, securely quit corporate. Because I think one of the things that I've done differently than most people, I'm a lot more conservative than most people in their 20s are. Even if that's a weird, weird word, considering that I started a YouTube channel and I've done all these weird things. But I mean, conservative in the sense that I'm not the type of person who's just going to jump out of a building. You know what I mean? And 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 build the parts as I'm going down. Because I, I think that's the, the part of personal development that I feel isn't touched upon a lot in conversations where people just say like, oh, like follow your dreams and like, you know, just like go for it, man. And I'm just like, that's how most of, I, I think that's what's nice about coming from the background I do. And, and many people like me is, and, and that's why I like Lewis a lot is like, it's a lot more pragmatic. It's not just like, you know, I 
was like 25 years old, but at 26, I made seven million dollars. Like, 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 no, like uh, a lot of well, the the average annual income in the U.S. is like fifty thousand dollars, right? So, so it's and a lot of people don't have a lot of money. So, so the real advice is saying, okay, well, if I'm the only person providing for my family, I can't just jump the bridge or else we're all gonna die, right? So instead of doing that, I actually side hustled Mastercard for two years and a half while I was making a six figure paycheck. I was obviously working like a dog to get that money. Like I was what, working seventy hours a week at IBM and the other 30 hours I was working on master talk and that's really reality is like I was doing like, but I was making good money and I was saving every penny. That's why I still live in my mom's basement. But, and then it was through that emergency fund that I was able to parachute into Master Talk and smoothly transition rather than jump and go, okay, let's figure this out. And that's how I replaced all of my income. It's because I did 50% of it before I quit. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm very like strategic. Like I'm never going to jump out of like the airplane without a parachute. Like I just, I need a plan. I'm very much like the same way. And I'm wondering like having kind of that stress of like thinking, you know, you're you're providing for your family you really want to be able to like help retire your your mom and be able to do these other things do you ever feel like a weight kind of on you do you ever feel like kind of like a stress of like yeah absolutely and i'm sure you might have had something similar but yeah i mean i i had a ton of of pressure to succeed right because because when when i got into corporate we had like what thirty forty thousand dollars in family debt that we owed other people or to credit card companies because you know my parents just made poor financial moves so i needed to clear all of that first. So I, for me, corporate, like for me, entrepreneurship, I thought it was for losers. I was like, why would you want to be an entrepreneur? Like you could easily make, you know, X number of dollars. Not that money's the only metric for success, but in the sense of it creates that security that most people just want right? or need rather. And and we can't really focus on, obviously now I can tell you a great story about how I'm changing the world and, and all that stuff, which is the, you know, my focus now, but that's not the truth at the beginning of the game. At the beginning of the game, it's saving yourself and your family first. And then the game evolves over time. But I think the key is as we start that logic it's all about saying and being empathetic to the idea that yeah you know we all have struggles we ought to figure it out so i definitely felt a lot of that pressure because i was the only person in my family who understood how money works really well because i'd spent my whole life learning it because we had so little of it so then when i figured out how that machine worked i was able to optimize against it but you're right i mean from the ages of probably when my dad lost his job in like the 08 09 recession so i was probably what like 12 13 years old from that age age all the way up until maybe like 2019. So at the age of like 23, I was always stressed about money. Even if I never really had it, I was always focused on it for like 10 years. I was like, okay, how do I make this work? How do I like drive an Uber for like, how do I like uh, get it work at a restaurant or something? So yeah, lots of weight. But now, now that's, that weight is off my shoulders now because my sister is starting to work now and, and we all live together. So life is good now. And I'm wondering, because like, I feel like that stress about money, you could have money and still have stress about money, even though you have no reason to have stress. Do you, st- do you still feel that? Or have you been able to eliminate that? Or do you still feel like a stress, even if you've arrived at a certain point? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I'm definitely not the wealthiest guy out there either. I'm not some multi-billionaire, but definitely the stress that I have now is very different than the one that I used to have because I'm, we're not negative anymore. So now it's like, now we have a positive bank account, which is like pff, mind-blowing. So so that alone is, but yes, it, there's still a lot of that poor money mindset that I carry on, that, that my coach is coaching me out of, that, that I'm still working through, right? We're all, we're, all, we're, we're all masterpieces in progress, right? But but definitely relative to before, it's, it's definitely a lot less attuned. And one one strategy that a money coach taught me that I felt was really powerful was every day when you wake up, especially if you don't have debt, is wake up every morning and just look at your ba- your bank accounts. And it really it changes your energy around. Because when you look at the number, it doesn't need to be massive either. Like, uh, you 
know, if you have like a three month emergency fund, like that's great, you know, because most people don't have any savings. So if you have like even 3000 or 5000 bucks in that account, you'll go like, oh, like I'm wealth, I'm more wealthier than like 70% of the population. So like, I'm not going to die. And I don't have kids. Hopefully, in your case, I hope you don't have kids, right? But, you know, we don't have a mortgage, all that stuff. So it creates a lot less stress in our lives. Yeah, I feel like sometimes it could run deep, like even if, even if like, like, you know, the circumstance is different or, you know, you're, you're totally fine. Like, I feel like it still carries on with you, like if you don't like really pay attention to it and what's going on. But I, that's been my experience. And I'm wondering, like, do you think like going back to like your desire to win? Do you think your desire to win is linked to, you know, not having those circumstances, not having money? Do you think it's kind of linked in a way from like, how, yeah, absolutely. I love your questions, Sophia. You're so wise. So crazy. Next, next time we do this, I'll interview you for two hours and just see what I can learn from. But but yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely spot on, right? In the sense of my, my desire to win started with trying to beat my dad, right? So when I was in my 10s, a lot of my, my focus was going like, let me show the world that I can do this, right? And and through that, a lot of anger was created, but it also led to a lot of success. It actually made me really successful. So I'm very thankful for it. But I think the challenge that most of us face with that type of energy, and I still have some of that. I mean, come on, I'm not going to lose that part of me. But I think what what changed is the game had an expiration date. You know, I always thought the game was to beat him, but I realized that at the end of the day, the game is rigged from the beginning. Especially when he when he died a few months after I went to Summit, was I, I realized that the game was a game that he created. You know, Tony Robbins says this best, and, and that was probably my, one of the biggest transformations of my life. Is if you're going to blame someone for all your failures and all of your problems and all of your situations, you might as well blame them for all the successes too. Because the truth of the matter is, and that was the hardest thing I ever had to admit to myself. My dad was the greatest gift that I could ever ask for because he's the one who immigrated to, to Canada like I wasn't born in Sri Lanka I was born in a first world country I was the first person in my lineage of whatever brown people to be born in, in a first world country to go to university to get a diploma and he also made the decision to move to Montreal that wasn't me he also made me learn French which is a decision he made that I didn't control but if he had never done that I never would have went to that specific university Concordia in Montreal which means I never would have joined which happened to be coincidentally so weird how events kind of line up. The world's largest case competition program is at Concordia. So I happened to go to that school, which then led to Master Talk. So Master Talk would not exist if he never existed, if he never did any of that. So when we start to rewrite those stories, and that's that was the shitty part of my life, is that I had to rewrite my desire to win. Because there wasn't any point to the game anymore. And I started, I wasn't like in a depression or anything. I don't think I've ever been in a dep depressive state. So I won't lie to you by, by saying that. But I think the point was I definitely had a low where I was like, okay, what do I do now? What's the point of life now? Because I was working at this company and because of my case competition experience, I was a wacko. So I was like outperforming most people, like most people in the program do. So I knew I was going to get to executive. I knew I was going to get the milestone. So I was like, okay, what's the point of life now? Like I retired my mom. She's working in a, like she's just living in a garden and enjoying life. And that, there's no, what's the point now? And when I got there... I had to transition my drive to win from just beating my dad to to creating something meaningful for the world. And then I read this book, Sophia, called Thirst by Scott Harrison. Scott Harrison's like my big one of my biggest heroes in life. And he's the CEO of Charity Waters. Lewis interviewed him a few years ago. And he has this quote in the book. He's basically, long story short, CEO of Charity Water. He helps people gain access to clean to clean water. He's helped 15 million people. And he used to be a nightclub promoter in New York City, which is really fascinating. And 
he has this quote in the book that always that always touched me and the quote was the goal is not to live forever but rather create something that will so when i heard that quote i just asked myself a simple question am i creating something that is living forever and the answer was no I'm a guy who's repeating the same script that a bunch of other people did before me to get the same roles and the same jobs and the same positions. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I just asked myself, could I do something more? And I think my, my series of life experiences taught me that I could. I kind of want to ask you, this might be a prying question. But you can ask me anything. You can ask me anything. I'm open, as you can tell. But, but I'm kind of curious, like, with your dad, were you able to create that closure while he was still around? Or was that kind of something that happened after he passed away? Or kind of what did that kind of look like for you? I would say, I mean, I'm still healing from that. But I would say most of it, definitely as he was passing. I, I, I was always mad at him until I, I remember there was this one moment after summit that at that point he had like three months left but at that point nothing had happened and there was like it was like the last 30 days and i just saw him in a hospital bed and he just looked super weak like like a state that i'd never seen him it's kind of like i mean i hate using this analogy but i feel it, it drives it not it's not in any ways a compare a direct comparison but it's kind of like when a dog is in, nearing the end of its life it's kind of like you can see the dog kind of lose its life slowly leaves leave its eyes and i and i just looked at him for the first time in my life because i we lived together for 10 years but i never talked to him. i pretend as if he never existed for my own sanity i couldn't leave the house either because it was important for my mom to be there so i think i just looked at him as he was like almost life and it was in that moment that I really chose to forgive him because I realized he was just a human being that made mistakes and he wasn't the worst dad in the world. There's people who have done much worse things in life, you know, and there's a lot of things that he's done correct. Like, you know, when we had the funeral, 300 people showed up to it because he had helped like like 20, 25 families immigrate from Sri Lanka to, to the country. So so because of all of that, I had just looked at my life and said, he's not really that bad of a guy. But I, I needed to convince myself in some way that he was so that I could get the level of success that I did. So so I think the long story short to your, to your question, Sophia, is I'm definitely still healing from it. But I would say the key that I realized in that moment was directing my anger or my frustration was a worthless cause. It wasn't going to help people. It wasn't actually going to lead to the results that I was looking for. Because at the end of the day, everything is just life. Like millions of people have had the same situation I've had, if not worse, way worse. I mean, my dad was only verbally abusive. He was very, very rarely physically abusive. It's never had maybe like twice in my lifetime but it was but it's never been as bad as it as it could have been so when i look at life in that way and it sucks but the truth is when we start bringing facts rather than emotions we start to realize that look at the end of the day it doesn't matter what happens to us it matters what we do about the circumstances that we're being assigned and i was able to transition from there wow <laughs> i'm just i'm just digesting the information. You're, you're a very good interviewer <laughs> you look at your sweatpants and you're like so brandon talk to me about it. i'm like shit like the who is this woman? <laughs> I like to poke at everything. I just can't help myself. I just like you're, you're no. good at this. <laughs> I like I'm a I'm a good guest for you because I'm very open to that poking. Yeah, yeah. I'll just go. Yeah, keep poking. Because <laughs> I'm learning a lot too. Because you asked me a lot of questions, no one's really asked me, so it's yeah. it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, because I I just have to ask because I feel like a lot of us have complicated situations with our dad, and I feel like that's something you could talk into because you also had that situation. But some of us like we still have him around, so there's things that we can do now that you know maybe will be better for our relationships. And I'm curious, like if he was 
still around, what sort of things would you want to do? Like, what sort of advice would you give us who maybe have like a pretty complicated situation? We want to try to make the best of it. We want to try to do, you know, whatever we can to bridge that gap. I love it. You know what's super funny about the questions you asked him? It's like half of you is like scared to answer the question. The other half is like, but I really need to ask. So I'm going to ask. So this is super funny. But yeah, I'm super open to this. To be honest, Sophia, I'm, I'm probably the worst person to ask this question to. Because if you were asking me for my honest answer, I would have changed nothing. And the, and the reason is simply this. Because I'm empathetic to this. I, I think there's a balance that we need to, to sway. You know, a lot of us will say... You know, and teach their own, right? A, a lot of us will say, you know, it's important for you to repair the relationships with your family and, and to do all that. But there's circumstances that we can't control. Like, there's a, there's a great point to this. Here's an analogy I like. You know, it's a, it's a quote by Randy Posh. And, and Randy says, from the last lecture, he says, it's not the cards that are dealt, but rather how you play the game, right? Because you can't change the cards. So so for me, in many ways, in some ways, not many ways, in some ways, I got unlucky. And in other ways, I got super, super lucky. Like, my mom's fantastic. My, my sister and I, who's the same age as you, we haven't argued in, like, over 10 years, right? We live together. We never argue, right? So, so there's parts of me that got really lucky, and there's parts that, you know, unfortunately did like anyone else's hand that is drawn out but i think what i would say is i'd love to give the audience permission to cut people off if that is what is necessary to be successful like i remember when i was 15 years old and i was still trying to talk to my dad and i just realized at some point i just got so pissed off that i was just like you know what like i, I deleting this person is the best thing i can do for my sanity and that was the best decision I ever made i'll never i'll never go back and say something like oh you know i really shouldn't have done that sophia oh i should have kept his feelings and i regret that honestly i don't i really don't and 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 i think because and the reason is because it was necessary for my success because if you hang around negativity too much and that's the dark side of success that i wish lewis would talk more about that that's what i think motivated me to be a thought leader in some ways quotation marks is like the dark part of success is if you want to be successful like really successful in any areas of life you need to be willing to press delete even if it's to your own family members but and there's a big but, there's a caveat to that. And the caveat is this. Just because somebody is perfect, isn't perfect doesn't mean you should press delete either. So there's a balance there. So let's say, for example, the relationship with my mom. You know, me and my mom used to fight all the time, right? Around like, like I remember this fun, when I was 10 years old, she was like, you can't go eat macaroni at other people's houses because they weren't brown people, right? So like she would say like these weird random things. Okay, does that mean you cut that person off? Absolutely not. Like that's like a minor thing. Like it's not like she's an alcoholic and she's like telling me I can't do anything with my life. Like, okay, that's a different. We all need to measure the cards that were dealt. But I think the area of improvement for all of us is to take better ownership for the relationship that we have in our life. We need to take more ownership. So that means we need to at least make the attempt to try with the people that we're the most comfortable with. So I'll give you an example. So let's say with me and my mom, I mean, we would always like always, always, always get into fights. And then at some point, but not aggressive fights, like always pitter patters, spitters. And then at one day when I was kind of doing personal development, I kind of just said, you know what, instead of me just saying, I believe this, you believe that, instead of not listening, which is something I was always terrible at, and I still am, by the way, because part of me kind of just wants to listen to you for an hour and a half and just wonder, like, how did you get to this place? But but I think the, the, the big point of this is I just took ownership for that relationship. I just made the conscious decision to say, you know what, I probably don't want a great relationship with my dad. I'll live with it. Maybe I'll regret it 
that when I'm 60 and I'm more wiser. But the relationship with my mom, I want to keep. That's why I still live with her, by the way. Not a lot of people know this. The reason I live with her has nothing to do with finances, though having the extra cash helps. Not going to lie. It's it's really because I don't know how long she's going to live. Like, I think a lot of us in our 20s, we take our parents for granted. And I know myself really well where I'm, I'm a workaholic. Like, I work like a dog. So for me, if I don't live with my mom, I'll never talk to her. I just know myself that well. So I might as well just live with her. So I see her every day. So that's the reason I did that. But I think the point is going back to your question more directly, Sophia. It's pick the two, three relationships in your life. And they don't have to be family members, just friends that you can have a deeper conversation with. Just go one layer deeper and just keep going until you find the answer. The last piece I'll say on this is the other piece is ask more questions instead of giving more statements. Obviously, it's not advice for you because you're exceptional at this, but I'll say for people who are listening, that's the game. I'll give you an example with the macaroni thing, which sounds ludicrous on the surface. But when I sat my mom down, I, I would ask her something like, why is this important to you? Why should I marry someone within my ethnicity? Why is that important to you? Because I didn't understand that because I was like, who cares? Like values are the same regardless of the ethnicity. That's not a factor. So when I was talking to, to her, she was like, well, Brendan, you know, when I was in Sri Lanka, there was a bunch of civil wars. There's a lot of chaos. You can't really trust people, blah, blah, blah. And she was like talking through it. And I was like, ah, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Most people don't seek to understand. So as I was listening to her perspective, now I can come with a more mature front and say, well, mom, we don't live there anymore. You know, we, we live in a place called Canada. It's really safe. Same thing, by the way, when I quit my corporate job, she freaked out because she knows what IBM is. She's like, oh my God, like that's the only thing she understood, by the way, in my career. She still doesn't know what I do, right? Like, but like she never understood any other company I worked at, but IBM is like the Indian thing. She's like, oh my God, like IBM, that's the pinnacle. My son works at IBM. He's like, he made it, right? So, she had, so when I was making videos in my basement, in her basement, I mean, we, we shared the rent, but you know, when I was working in the basement, like doing this, she was worried. She was like, did you quit your job? I was like, what's happening? And I was like, no, mom, I'm just making videos for, and I was explaining and she was like, okay. But when I quit my job, and I was, I was starting that conversation with her. She was worried shitless. And this is what I think a lot of people do wrong. I'm just giving specifics so people understand this. It's like people just expect their, their, the people around them to just follow them. It's, it's kind of like the whole, uh, uh, the, the, this is some tough love again, another podcast two weeks with a guy named Pedro. He was like, uh, what advice do you have for, for hus like husband and wife, people's wives who don't support their husbands? And I give very different advice. I go, well, get the receipts to prove it. Like, why do you expect your significant other to follow you and, and tell, like they're worried about their family the, the children that you're raising together show the receipt show that you can make money like that's what's important to her whereas most people are so selfish so going back to going back to my mom it wasn't uh, like the people ask me all the time did, did your mom support you yeah of course they did because i gave them a reason to i said look mom i made 40 grand this year and I'm making 72 in corporate. I'm pretty sure I can replace the other 32 that's missing. And I showed her the receipts. And she goes, oh, that makes sense. I trust you now. So anyways, I just I know I just gave a super long-winded answer because I've never been asked the question. But I think the long story short is we need to begin by making a list of the relationships we actually want to protect because we don't need to protect all of them. Life is short. But the second piece is we need to invest in them first by asking those questions. And then the third piece is when we understand what's important to them, then we can start to heal some of those relationships. But I don't think I would have done that with my dad. Yeah, I love that answer. And I think it's so important because like, I feel like sometimes we don't have the patience 
to ask those questions because we just get mad. We're like, why don't you support me? Why don't you do that? You know, <laughs> like we just go off instead of actually being able to like center ourselves and say, okay, like where did this come from? Like where, what's underlying here that I maybe need to hit directly versus just getting mad and like having a whole fight about it. So I'm kind of wondering uh, if you're like, like how, how are you able to be sensible in that moment? Like how are you able to be like grounded when you really just want to be like, well, I'm your son or whatever. So you should support me regardless, you know, it shouldn't have to be in a whole issue. I'm wondering kind of what keeps you grounded in those moments where you may want to just like go off. It's a great question. And there's still moments, by the way, Sophia, where I'm not perfect either, right? Right. Where I go off on somebody. But, but I think that the overall thing is I, I, is I think the biggest mistake most of us make, Sophia, to keep it simple, is we take our winners for granted, right? We take our winners for granted. What do I mean by that? Is we focus so much on the relationships that aren't working, and we don't nearly spend enough time focusing on the relationships that are, and over-investing in those relationships. And what I always like to say is when we triple down on our winners, good things always happen. Whereas most of us, we don't take the winners for granted. So I think it, we begin with a conversation of gratitude. Like, make a list of the people that have poured into you the most it could be your mom it could be your friends and ask yourself a simple question what have you done for them lately what have you done for them lately right and i'm not saying i'm buying my parents lamborghinis or anything but what i am saying is look it's important for my mother for me to live close to her right it's important for her and i like spending time with her too so that's something i'm willing to do but marrying someone within my ethnicity and getting an arranged marriage that that's a red line i can't do that right so so there's some things that we can compromise on and there's some things that we can't but the other piece is the groundedness comes from gratitude and the point that i want to drive which most people wouldn't say in a podcast you don't need to make patience for everyone I think that's something that gains with maturity over time. And that's something I'm still working on. Like when I was uh, in university, I was a fuse. Like, my God, like the people who would, I was a dictator of that case competition. And, and some of that is still coming out energetically now. I'm sure you could feel it. You're like, okay, well, this guy is uh, kind of crazy. But but I think, and I am, but and I would argue you are too, which I think is a good thing. But but I think the key is a lot of that fuse has, has been controlled over my life because I realized that you can't act out that way with everybody, especially with my mom. Like my mom, I don't talk like this with her i'm very soft how's your day hope you're having a wonderful day. notice how my energy has completely changed there so so that's not my real state but but i i make those those compromises for the relationships i give a shit about so i don't do that for 50 people i i do that for my top 10 my top the vomsies of the world that i meet at summit right so it's it's all about saying that because when when you find a winner when you find someone who's really positive, like you are as an example, or someone who's really energetic, someone who's great, who wants to see you win, when you have those relationships in your life, the first thing is to be grateful for them. And the second one is to really imagine a future with them not in it. So if you really spend the time to imagine a future with them not in it, your ability to stay grounded changes. I'll, I'll give you a crazy one that I think will, will land with people. Okay, Let, let's say you're talking to someone and they're pissed off at you. Obviously, the first reaction is to be mad, and I would be too. But the, the question I would love to get for us to consider, Sophia, is what if you were the last human being to ever interact with them? What if after that conversation with you, they die an hour later? Would you have showed up differently knowing that? So when you ask yourself that deeper question, you go like, let's say somebody's cutting you off in traffic. Yeah, it's easy to be like, well, F you. Like, what are you doing cutting me off in traffic? But the other person's like, what if I was the last human being to talk to this person? What if they just get into a car accident a few hours later? If I had known that in that interaction, would I have treated that person the same? And the answer could still be yes. But I would say for the relationships that you really care about, the answer is probably no. 
So every time I feel mad about my mom, and it happens sometimes, right? We like I said, we haven't gotten to an argument over ten years. But yeah, but there's moments internally, emotionally, where I'm kind of like, fuck, like we shouldn't do that. But but I don't I don't react that way. Why? Because I always imagine a world where my mom's not in it. What would happen if I woke up tomorrow or not even ten tomorrow? I know when I'm fifty, she won't be around. Like if she probably won't. Or when I'm sixty, she probably won't be around. So I imagine those moments and I think to myself, oh, these are the only years I got with my mom, whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30. So that helps me ground myself. Same thing with, you know, my little sister. I mean, we're going to have a long life together because she's your age. So we're going to, you know, we're going to be, you know, together for like 70 or 60 years, hopefully, knock on wood. But but even that sometimes I try and imagine a life without, and I know it's painful to do that. You kind of go like, shit, like Brett is like doing some weird shit. But what this does is it helps us appreciate the relationship that we have with them now. And it makes it easier for us to navigate. That's why I never yell. I never yell at the relationships that I care about managing, unless they're my coaching clients. Those people I yell at. But, but the people that that I have a, like a strong relationship with, I always understand the same thing with Vamsi. Yeah. Are there moments where he pisses me off? Absolutely. But I, I asked myself the bigger question is what would I do without this guy? Let's say he wasn't around anymore. Let's say something happened to him. And I think that's a great framework for us to operate and, and show up with more love and gratitude. And then the last piece is when you find new people that are really positive, you got to cling on to them, right? You got to overinvest so that you, you hang around positive people. So many beautiful answers. <laughs> so much. Hey, you're asking me a lot of beautiful questions. So <laughs> most people just ask me. So what are the three uh, communication tips? And I go, well, uh, here they are. <laughs> I feel like I'm like imagining you having like these lists of questions that you just go through and all these interactions. I feel like you have these like powerful questions that are always in your head that you're always thinking about. And I'm wondering, this is like such, this isn't a deep question compared to the other ones, but like you said you're a workaholic. How are you managing having a personal life, you know, your work, being able to do everything? Like, it seems like you're very intentional about where you want to spend your time and you like know so well where that is. But I'm kind of wondering how you make space for things outside of work, how you kind of balance it all. You know, balance is a funny term, right, Sophia? You know, we, you know, a lot of the personal development gurus, I would argue Lewis doesn't do that doesn't do that much like I, I think he does a good job with this but I I feel a lot of people in the space they when they talk about balance it's it's very surface level and not nuanced at all based on the person so they go as if they assume that oh you need to spend your weekends with your family you need to like do this you need to do that I, I think for me balance just means to your point I, I feel the question itself has the answer in it that you nailed on the head Sophia is balance comes into intentionality like let's take somebody uh, like that we can all that we can all recognize Gary Vaynerchuk right like most people when they look at Gary Vaynerchuk's life they might say something like oh this person's not balanced at all like this person is living a shitty life and a shitty existence and but but to Gary I honestly believe he's probably one of the happiest people in the world if not the happiest and the reason I say that is because you can tell through the way at the energy that he's showing up when he's talking to people like he always sounds like this but but you like he's so high on life right he's so energetic so so big piece to that is this happiness comes from the work. So I think for me, it wasn't about judging myself and saying, oh, I need to take weekends off, like as if I'm ever going to do that. But I think it's more around, like for me, like Summit in many ways, like that three-day event is work, but I love work. It's, it's not about getting clients or anything, but it's like, I like it's work. Like, yeah, I want to like talk to people and engage with them because for me, that's fun. Like, you know, for other people, a vacation is going to Cancun and like chilling for a week. Totally fine. Nothing wrong with that. I can't do that. I'll shoot myself in the head like it's just not my thing like for me it's like going to summit singing kubaya 
going to the after parties, talking about like vulnerable, deep conversations. Like last time when we both went in 2019, right? That's, that's my shit. Like I've been waiting three years to go to this thing again. So, so yeah, like that's, that's my kumbaya. So, and that's what I enjoy doing. Not everyone's like that, but I think that the key answer here, the lightning thread is how do we be more of, of me? Like, how do we be more of ourselves? And, and the best way to do that is, is a quote that I, that I like to share. And this is something I invented in my basement because I realized it rhymes and I was like, this is great. The quote is be insane or be the same. You know, if you want to be like everyone else, that's totally fine. But if you want to be someone who leads a fulfilling life, you need to realize that everyone who does crazy things are crazy people, right? They're nuts. They align every minute of every day to themselves. So I feel the way that we get to balance is by looking at our life as a whole and just asking yourself what brings us the most happiness. And for me, those things are karaoke, uh, dancing alone in my mother's basement, clubbing, because uh, I just love, I don't drink, but I love I love going to dance parties, going to personal development conferences, having conversations like this, I love. Like, I hate the PR stints on, on podcasts. It's not my thing. Like, there's like every question I, I want to answer because I'm fascinated by it myself. So, but for all of us, that list is different, right? Like for, like, for my sister, actually, a lot of those things are similar. We go clubbing together, super funny. But there's other, there's other things that aren't similar, right? So, or there's somebody else who's more introvert who likes reading a book. But I think the key is to do more you of you instead of comparing yourself to what brings other people happiness there's a lot of things that people love to do that i I frankly hate so so when we're honest about those things that's how we build those relationships up over time and then one other thing i love to do i love yelling at people over dinner that i disagree with that's something i really enjoy whereas most people wouldn't do that like and i think that's the that's the challenge and that's the opportunity for all of us to find the balance in our life i feel like the theme i'm picking up on from you is like radical honesty like to yourself like just Hundo. completely honest with yourself, completely honest about what makes you happy, completely honest about what you want your life to be, and like just going for that and like not really caring if anyone else has anything to like intrude on that because it doesn't matter. And I'm curious for you, have you always been this honest with yourself? Is this something like recent or like kind of how that evolved? You know, I feel I've I've always been this way, but probably not at an extreme level. Like now I'm like borderline crazy. Like every minute of every day. Like every meeting today, I look forward to it. Like I wanna be on this episode with you. It's not like, oh my god, I've talked to Sophia for like an hour. No, it's like, yeah, let's I wonder why she wants to interview me. Let's let's talk to her. Let's see what's up. Right. So I just love these. But but I think the key is like uh, for me when I was when I was getting started, you know, I was telling this with a friend actually, that you might find this fascinating. I don't think I've ever shared this either on the podcast. So me and I'm having dinner and he was asking he was asking me for help around like and we coach each other so he's like okay uh how do i get rid of these you know my my fixed-minded friends like they're what do i do with them because they're always spending time with them and i and i looked at him and it probably sounds like a nasty thing to say i just looked at him like i was a crazy person i was like delete them <laughs> and he was like and I, I mean, he was like i was like never talk to them again and he was like why and, and i said i said you know at the beginning patrick when you start that conversation, it's always difficult to do it. So when I was like 19, or no, not 19, actually, I got it when I was 19. When I was like 60, it was tough. I was like, oh my God, like I'm going to college in a few years and there's people in high school that I'll never get to talk to again. And it's like, oh my God. But then when I started meeting more growth-minded people, I started getting addicted to them like cocaine. And I started like, and, and I said, I, <laughs> I said it once again, I, well, I don't endorse cocaine, it's an analogy, people. But I think the key is like, when you start snorting the cocaine of growth-minded friends, you just can't stop. And I think that's what happened with me. 
is in the same in the same wavelength where I started making one decision that was counterintuitive that brought me more joy. But I made one small decision after the other. And as those so it didn't start with I'm going to go club and I don't give a shit what people think. It started with like Oh, huh, like maybe this party I shouldn't be going to because everyone's drinking and I don't really like that kind of stuff. Maybe I'll just stay home. So then I added that one decision. And then I stacked it with, well, I really like video games. I don't game anymore, but when I was 19, right? I was like, oh, I, like kind of work, I like kind of playing these video games. And then I started like stacking these one thing at a time. And I started losing a bunch of friends, right? But I also started gaining new ones. And I was like, oh, like there's other people who are this crazy. So what I kind of realized over time, kind of like a muscle. Sophia, is when you communicate your insanity to the world a bit by bit, you lose a lot of people, but you actually gain a bunch of people that you can build like, like imagine me and you were going to have so much fun at Summit. That's going to be hilarious, right? We're just going to be yelling at each other. People are going to be like, who the fuck are these people? Right? It's going to be great. But this is the thing. But if you but if you don't communicate that insanity, imagine I showed up to this podcast and I was like, yeah, Sophia, you know, I don't really want the, like, like uh, you're hiding your insanity. So you can't find the other insane people. So what happens is like, as it stacks your external world starts to change. And it's kind of like a, a flywheel where it starts slowly, but once you get to the top of the mountain, it starts to derail really, really, really fast. So what I would encourage people to think about, Sophia, is make those small decisions over time, and then it gets faster and faster, and then you're just addicted to it like Coke, like I am. And now it's like, okay, well, now every minute of every day is, is thoughtful and, and planned. I love that. And I, I wasn't expecting a Coke analogy from you. That was yeah, I don't know. <laughs> It was the most exciting thing. I feel it's like, it's like, I feel like even if I, I like, I've never taken drugs, in my, I'm like the cleanest person you'll ever meet in your life. But I think it's like that analogy, that high, I think is a cool way of thinking about it. Cause it's like this high that we're all trying to go after, right? We're always trying to use alcohol and all these things, whatever you want to put, insert thing here, vice there. But I think we can all be addicted to our own life if we make the right decisions. I love that. Being addicted to your own life. Like, what would being addicted to your own life look like? Absolutely. And figuring that out. Because for, for my sister, it's completely the opposite to me. Like, she thinks money is, like, the root of all evil and stuff. Which is fine, because I make enough money for both of us. So, fair enough. Whatever. But but I don't try and change those beliefs, right? And she's not, like, demonizing it either. But I think more in the sense of, for her, a great life is, no, I want to be an English teacher. I want to work 40 hours a week. I want to have my summers off and make 60 grand a year. And I used to demonize that all the time, by the way, when I was, when I was 20, right? And I was younger. I was like, oh, you shouldn't do this. I've changed my mind a lot since then because i realized that that's just me projecting my own insecurities onto other people or my own way of being versus just going like cool like she's a happy person this is working out for her. maybe i'm the one with the insecurities and then we move on from there <laughs> wow and i have to ask because i'm like a huge lewis fan like been listening to him for years like what's the biggest lesson you think you learned from him yeah so th there's a lot i i would say the let me give you the the counterintuitive stuff that i i, I think you'll enjoy because you're asking me the, the awesome questions, so I might as well I might as well not give you the PR fluff and go, oh, PR was... Lewis taught me what to do and what not to do. So I, I think if there's anything I realized from, from people who are celebrities, people you look up to, what I encourage people to think about, if you want to get to their level, if the, for the, I'm talking like 2% of people right now. Actually, people higher because people are crazy they're listening to, so that's probably way higher. Uh, I, I, some part of me in my mind is like, I should, if, if Sophia hosted a live event with like all of her podcast attendees, I'd probably want to attend that event. Like That's what's kind of thinking in the back of my mind right now. But anyways, point being, let, let me go into the more interesting parts of Lewis. There's a lot of things he did right, okay? Wealth and health, specifically. He is a master of money. He's understanding how to optimize it. He's, uh, he's very good at health. You know, he's a very handsome guy. 
very buff, you know, gets the workouts in, right? Very attractive man, right? So he's done that right. He's done the wealth right. And he's also done the emotional intelligence, right? He's very good at getting people to like him. So very good at influence. But, and that's a lot of stuff that I got from him, but that's boring to talk about. Let's talk about the other piece. What did I choose not to learn from him? Right. Because I think learning the mistakes is just, a, and that's why I like Lewis because he's very open. Is he, even with all the things that he's figured out in life, he couldn't figure out romantic relationships. And I still think he hasn't figured it out because he's like dating all of these models and like doing all these things. And I'm like, is that really going to lead to what you want? Because there's an inconsistency between his desire, right, to want a family his desire to have a wife, to have children, with the incongruence of the people he's dated in the past. That might have changed with his newest girlfriend. But I think the key, the reason I bring that up, is not to demonize Lewis, but rather to see Lewis in the same way that people would see me or you or anyone else, which is we're all human beings in an experience. So for me, the, the way that I take it is let's learn the good things that we agree with and then learn the, the weaknesses from other people so we can optimize fully. And I think that's what I realized with Lewis. The biggest lesson is optimize for everything else first and save romantic relationships for last. Because even the most successful people on earth that you admire or that I admire aren't able to figure that out because it's so much more complex than the other areas of life to to navigate through. So yeah, that's my long answer to it. Yeah, relationships are so hard. It's interesting because you see J-Lo, you know, and you see her history. You see all these celebrities and you see all their romantic history. And it's like we all have issues with it. Like We all can't figure it out. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're 21 and I'm 26. We're young. We'll figure it out. Hopefully. Hopefully we'll figure it out. I mean, Lewis is 38. I think that's what worries me about him. And I think about this weird, I have these weird thoughts in my mind where I'm kind of like, if I was his friend, what would I tell him? And I would say like, you know, you're, you're getting older now. Like how long are you going to wait before? So I hope he figures it out. Maybe I'll learn something, but I'm not going to rely on him to, to learn that lesson. I have to learn from somebody else. <laughs> that's a great follow-up. Excellent follow-up. Bombsy is probably one of them. But because, you know, he's been married for 20 years now. He's very different from me. Like, he's the opposite to me. And and that's why we're good business partners. So he's been married for 20 years, you know, and for since he was like 25 or something. I think he's a good model. Other models, I mean, that, that's I haven't really figured it out, to be honest. I, I think for me, the, the, the thought process now is don't stress out about it. I think that's the, the process now is like, you know, just focus on making more money. Like, I'm still not in a place where I'm 100% secure yet and you know like dating someone who might think i live in my mom's basement as a negative it's like okay like do i really want to have that conversation does it really matter so so the the, the honest answer is i don't really know and and we'll figure it out together <laughs> and i'm curious what's the thing you think you learned from watching his relationship what do you think is the biggest thing that has helped him with 20 years of marriage is I would say that the biggest thing is never give up your uniqueness as a human being. And and I think the 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 thing that's worried me a lot about watching Lewis, because I've watched him since episode one, right? That's how obsessive I am as a fan. I've probably listened to 700 episodes of the pod. I'm probably like the most, I feel like I've known him for seven years. Like uh, I met him in person for the first time a few months ago, which is interesting. But but I think the the thing about Lewis that I've learned is he, he cares so much about other people that he was willing to sacrifice his his oneness to please other people and that's led him into dangerous places of life whereas i think at the end of the day what's interesting about 
relationships from a mathematical perspective, which I, I know is a weird way of going about it, is if your goal is to have a long-term relationship and have a family and all those things, which is the one for, which is my end game, not to say I'm going to do that right away, but you know, end game in my mid-30s maybe, is you only need to really optimize for one. Like, I don't need three business partners. I just need Vomsi. Like, I don't need to find five other business. I'm good. Like, he's good, my business partner. I don't need to find another sister. You know, it's like, I'm good. Like, my sister's awesome. I don't need to find another mom. So I, I feel it's the same thing with friends too. Like, you know, you you could have five amazing friends. Sure, if you had seven, it would be better. Absolutely. But I could live with five. Like, I won't die if I only have these five. So I think the same things with, with significant others. I feel that one thing that Rob Deerdeck says a lot that I really like is, like, when you're in the perfect relationship, it feels really peaceful. Because Rob's a fucking crazy guy. Like, he's just building companies. But as his Filipino spouse, just like, yeah, just do your thing. And whereas most people wouldn't be like that. So I think the key is Lewis was always willing to sacrifice his mission and and it's always bit him in the ass long term because after three years he wakes up and he's like i don't want to be in this relationship anymore when he couldn't have had that realization three days into it or maybe even three weeks into it rather than three years and and i feel now he's starting to get to that place but the the point that i get and this is something i i give myself credit for that i feel most people i wish more people did is don't just listen to your mentors or your heroes feel the pain so like for me, it's not just about like listening to Lewis. It's also about feeling the pain of being 38 and not to say there's anything wrong with that because you could find love at any age, but, but just feeling that pain and trying to do it for 20 years and going, do I want to go through that pain? No. So let me just skip this and not like try to date models and all that stuff and just get to like the, not to say models are bad people, by the way, I want to point that out. Cause, uh, cause I know we're having a very deeper, so I'm, I'm saying things, my PR button is like off for this one. So there's nothing wrong with models. Okay. I, I there's, I'm sure there's a lot of models who, are, who would make ex- excellent mothers, but I think more in the idea of filtering for the right qualities. Like I, I think one quality that a lot of men should pay more attention to, especially if they want kids that they don't, cause a lot of our biology is focused on physical attraction, right? Naturally. So is, will this person make a great mother? Like, people don't ask that question. Because if the answer is no, it doesn't matter how pretty they are. Like, it won't work. And I feel Lewis needed to spend too much time maturing into that version. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's been so interesting seeing his relationships. And that's so true. Once you sacrifice part of yourself for that relationship, it always ends up biting you at the end. And I love how you put the point of peace. Like, being able to feel that peace in the relationship. Because sometimes we're used to, like, chaotic relationships. I'm going to avoid that at all costs. (laughs) Absolutely. I have a final question for you. So if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20-year-old self, what would you want to tell him? Yeah, I would say, I mean, since we talked about be insane or be the same already, hmm, what would I tell him? I would say the the number one piece of advice that I would tell him besides the whole insanity thing is realize that time is a more valuable currency than money is. That's probably the biggest takeaway that I that I'd give him because people really underestimate the power of time. And when I was 20, honestly, money was the only focus for me. Money and winning competitions and obviously having good friends and all that stuff. But it wasn't around like changing the world and like doing all that stuff and making an impact. I was really focused on those metrics. And I'd, I don't disagree with 20-year-old Brendan because I feel that part was necessary to get that coveted IBM job. But I also feel like understanding that time is the currency, not money earlier in life would, ha- would have helped me quit my corporate job faster than I would have otherwise did. And I have to ask one more question because I didn't ask you enough about this, but one... 
please. To someone who maybe isn't the best speaker, doesn't think they could speak, <laughs> hesitant towards speaking. If you could only give them one tip, what would it be? Yeah, I, I would say it's a question, Sophia. And the question is simply this. How would your life change if you became an exceptional communicator? You know, most of us, we dream about the expensive cars we want to buy, the vacations we want to go on. But very few of us dream about a world or a life in which we're better communicators. Because communication is so much more. And, and, and through the examples we gave today, demonstrates that it's so much more than just giving a keynote making more money obviously most people hire me for that purpose that's that's how it's it's a win-win for everyone like executives but for humanity i would say communication just helps us lead a more fulfilling life right it helps improve the relationships that we have with each other right as human beings it helps us meet strangers when we go traveling it helps us order better food at a restaurant and be nice to the waiter and make their day, right? So when we start thinking about those little more, or playing with our nieces and nephews, so when we start to see communication like that and having less fights with our family, we'll, we'll be able to navigate those things more effectively. So don't just write the question down, people. Really reflect on the answer. Because a lot of people sidestep the question. They go, okay, how would my life change? And then they kind of just move on. No, no, no. Spend 10, 15 minutes really writing a small essay around it, and it'll probably change your thinking around communication. I love that. I loved all your answers today. They were all amazing. <laughs> hey, I loved all your questions. This is easily like a top 10 appearance for me. This is great. I'm glad. That makes me happy. <laughs> I didn't expect this at all. <laughs> That's good. Awesome. And like, where, where can we stalk you? Where can we find you? <laughs> Uh, I am honestly, I am so excited to, to meet you in person. This is going to be super fun because I can't wait to ask you the questions. I'm not going to do much talking. What do you mean? It's going to be super fun. It's uh, well, thanks for this conversation, by the way. It's really made my day, Sophia. I really appreciate the work that you do. So, so I would say it's two easy ways to keep in touch. Number one, you know, YouTube. So go to Master Talk in one word and you'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to communicate ideas effectively. And the second way to keep in touch for those of you interested in coaching, just sign up for one of my free trainings over Zoom. I do them every few weeks. And the website is rockstarcommunicator.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.